thank you for this awesome, awesome day you've given to us. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here with you this morning. And God, we're excited about what you're doing during this series and what you're doing in our lives. We pray, dear God, that you would move in our hearts this morning, that we would be able to connect with you in a very intimate way, Lord God, as you as you speak to our hearts about how you want to move us forward in our own spiritual journey. We love you and praise you and give you thanks for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in a series called How Big Is Your God? And we, we've basically been going through this journey of the children of Israel from, uh, from bondage in Egypt, okay, to the promised land. And so over the first, last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the question of how did they get to Egypt in the first place? And to answer that question, we're studying the life of Joseph. We're looking at the life of Joseph. So Joseph, and I'm not going to go through in great detail. You can go back and read it. You can get the last two uh, CDs, whatever. But Joseph is, uh, is favored by his father, Jacob. Okay, he's the favored son of Jacob. And so he gives him this cloak and this, this robe and he wears this robe around and his brothers can't stand him. They hate him. So they throw him in a cistern. Right. And then they pull him out of the cistern. They sell him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And he's taken from the cistern to from the cistern to the Ishmaelites to Egypt and he's sold to Potiphar. Okay, Potiphar is a captain of the bodyguard for Pharaoh. So Joseph is sold into slavery into his home. Everything's going really well for Joseph, you know, going ups and downs. But now it's going well. He's in Potiphar's house and Potiphar puts him in charge of his entire household. And then his wife comes along, Potiphar's wife comes along and starts to try to seduce Joseph. Joseph doesn't want anything to do with her. Then she falsely accuses him of doing that to her. And he's thrown into prison. While he's in prison, he meets the cupbearer, he meets the baker. He he goes, goes over their dreams, tells them what their dreams mean. And then Pharaoh has a dream. Okay, and Joseph interprets his dream. Joseph ends up becoming second in command in Egypt. So now you understand most of Genesis, right? A large portion of Genesis, I should say. All right. So just if you have that on tape, you can just remember that and you say, yeah, I know Genesis. Let me tell you about it. All right. So so Pharaoh has this dream. Joseph interprets his dream. And the interpretation is basically seven years of of, of, of abundance, seven years of total abundance. You're going to be able to, you know, rake in the crops. All right. And then. The second part of the dream is seven years of famine. So where we are right now is that we are entering into the seven years of famine. And so Joseph has stored up all of this grain. He stored up everything for the coming tr- the trouble ahead. And Joseph basically saves Egypt at this point from starvation because he was wise enough to store it up when they were getting it in. He stored it all up. So now they're in a famine. Not only did he save mo- most of the people of Egypt, but he also saved the people around Egypt because he stored up all that food. They had extra food to sell. So he sells food to other nations around around Egypt. They come in, they buy the food. They are saved from starvation. In Genesis 47 verses t- 14 through 24, it, it talks about 
out. It chronicles the wealth that was accumulated by Egypt because of what Joseph had done. They came, they bought the crops, they bought everything. And if you read through that, you read through the, the chronicle of it all. They were they ended up selling all their land to the Pharaoh. Then they send, basically put themselves in servitude to the Pharaoh. So they amassed incredible wealth over that period of time because everyone had to come to Egypt to get the food that they needed to survive. Back home, Joseph's family is feeling the the pain, feeling the struggle, feeling the effects of the famine. This is where the story again takes another turn, because now his brothers, his family, they have to go to Egypt in order to get food. So they're not going to starve. In Genesis 42, verse two, it says this. Jacob says, I have heard there is grain in Egypt. Now go down there, buy some for us from that place so that we may live and not die. That's how desperate people were. Can you historically, can you imagine what would have happened in that area of the world? If Joseph was not in that place, the amount of people who would have starved to death, he saved he saved just multitudes of people. So so Jacob says, go down and get some food for us. So 10 of Joseph's brothers go down to Egypt to get food, but they leave Benjamin behind. Okay, they don't want to send Benjamin. He's youngest. They don't they leave Benjamin behind. Joseph then does something um, very interesting. They get down to they get down to Egypt and interesting first is they bow down to Joseph. Remember the first week, right? He's a dreamer, has these dreams. You're all bowing down. Here's my dream. And are we to bow down to you? Well, they get to Egypt and guess who they bow down to? They bow down to Joseph fulfilling his dream. His brothers don't recognize him, but he certainly recognizes his brothers. And then Joseph starts to test his brothers. He begins to test them. He first accuses them of spying. He says, you're spies. You've come here to spy out the land to see if, how you're going to invade. And they well, no, we're not spies. They said, we're not spies. And he says, no, you're spies. And the only way you're going to convince me you're not spies is if you go back home and bring your brother that you told me about, Benjamin. You had to bring him back here. So they go and they get Benjamin. They bring him to Egypt. They bring him down there. Down there and then Joseph does something else that's very, very interesting. He tells his servants that they need to take a a silver goblet and stick it in Benjamin's pack. And then before they send him on their way. All right. So they they take the goblet, they stick it in his backpack before they send him on his way. And then he is there stopped and they're searched by the guard. They're stopped and searched and they they are they are brought back to Egypt. They're out now. They're they're brought back under the pretense that they had stolen the goblet. So now they're they got all kinds of problems going on. Now, the first time as a baby Christian, I read this story. I'm thinking to myself, finally, Joseph's going to get these guys back. OK, sticks the goblet back there, gets him to come back like he's he's like a he's playing cat and mouse with him. You know what I mean? That was my thought process. He's going to they put him through so much torture, through so much misery, through so much hardship. Now it's his chance. And I was a baby Christian. So I thought, well, this is a, this is fair. You know what I mean? Do unto others. You know what I'm saying? And now he's doing it unto others. And so that's what I thought. I thought it was basically Joseph getting these guys back. But the reason he does this was to see if they were going to let Benjamin go. His brothers, okay? It's the, 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 the goblet, the silver goblet is put in Benjamin's pack. 
So all of a sudden they say, hey, we have no, we don't know what you're talking. Search us. We have no idea what you're talking about. You'll find nothing. Oh, goblet. And the brothers start to absolutely panic at this point. It's their panic. See, Joseph wasn't trying to torture them. What he was trying to do was to test them. He was testing them. The plan, Joseph's plan was to arrest Benjamin and then to tell the others, you can go on your way. You're free to go. And let them think that now Benjamin was going to be punished for the crime of stealing the goblet. Joseph, honestly here, was trying to see if they had changed, if they had changed, their hearts had changed. Were these the same brothers that he left in Canaan that did all these things to him? He wanted to te- he wanted to test them. He wanted to see if their hearts had changed. He wanted to make sure they weren't the same. Would they give up Benjamin so easily? Well, Benjamin, hey, it was in his pack. He would take him, take him. Don't take us. Right. Same thing they did to Joseph. Right. Would they do to would they do to Benjamin what they did to me? That was the question that he was trying to answer. Are they going to do the same thing to Benjamin, the younger brother, that they did to me, Joseph, by sending me off and abandoning me basically with the Ishmaelites and then taking me to Egypt? He finds out the answer to his question is unequivocally absolutely not. They weren't going to give up Benjamin. They, they were not going to give him up. Judah, the brother who had sold him, remember, for 20 shekels of silver. Judah comes and he says to Joseph, hey, can I, can I talk to you alone? Can I get alone with you? And so Judah gets alone with Joseph. And he basically tells him, he says, listen, he says to Joseph, my, my father cannot take another loss like this. My father, he can't take the loss. So here's what, here's what I'll do. Please take me in my brother's place. I will be your slave. I will serve you. I just cannot go back without my brother. In Genesis 44, 33 and 34, it says this. Now then, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery with, uh, that would come on my father. Joseph is so moved by the change in their lives. This is what he's looking for. He's not torturing anyone. He's not playing cat and mouse. He's not playing a game. He's a wise man. He's very wise. He's a godly man. And he wants to see if the transformation is there. And he sees the change in their lives. And then in Genesis 45 and verse 1, it says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants. And he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there, so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. So he makes himself known to his brothers. Hey, I'm Joseph. It's Joseph. After he reveals himself, his brothers then go back And they go back with excitement to go and tell their father, Jacob, that Joseph is still alive. In Genesis 45, 20, 25 to 28, it tells us this. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father, Jacob, in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is the ruler of all of Egypt. Jacob was stunned and he did not believe them. He didn't believe it. He he said, "This, this, this cannot be true. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father, Jacob, was revived. It revived him. And Israel said, that's Jacob, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So now I want to jump 
to verse uh, chapter 46, verses 1 through 7. So Israel, Jacob, set out with all that was his and when he reached Beersheba, he offered, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives in the carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him to Egypt his sons and grandsons, his daughters and granddaughters, all his offspring. All right. Now I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, going to jump around a little bit. And then in in Exodus chapter one, in verse eight, it says this. Eventually, okay, jumping a little ahead, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph and what he had done. So now we're finding out how do they end up in bondage? How do they end up in bondage? They go down there, they become a great nation, they become a multitude of people. How do they get into bondage? One pharaoh dies, another pharaoh comes into power later on. I don't know this guy, I never heard about Joseph or anybody else. So he then is, he sees the multitude of Israelites that are, that are consuming the country pretty much. They're growing and they're multiplying, having kids, there's lots and lots of people there. And that pharaoh gets really nervous and says, hey, there's too many of them, there's more of them than there are of us. And he's afraid for his own power, so he enslaves them. That's how they become enslaved. Chapter 50 is a beautiful ending to the book of Genesis. So I'm going to jump back there. Jacob dies, and Joseph brings him back to the land of Canaan to bury him. So Jacob now dies, Joseph brings him back, he buries him. But then his brothers begin to, they begin to panic a little bit. They, they just, you think about this with your own life and your, and how you look at yourself sometimes. And you look at the, you think about the grace of God. And Jen was talking about this and mercy triumphs over judgment. And his brothers start to think to themselves, this can't, this can't really be happening. We did so much to our brother Joseph and they're probably thinking, they're thinking to themselves, not probably, um, when our father dies, that he's going to unleash what we deserve. And so they begin to panic. They can't believe that Joseph's grace is real. And we read in Genesis 50, verses 15 through 18, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. Ask Uh, I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. You can imagine. Still thinking like he's on. He's all these things. He's. He's he's let his brothers know it's it's all good. It's all cool. Don't worry about it. But they are just panic. And so he just weeps over it. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. His brothers had done some some terrible things to Joseph. They really did terrible things. They set in motion a string of events in his life that caused him 
a, just a massive amount of harm. The last three weeks, we talked about it. I mean, think about it. Your brothers strip you down, right? They throw you in a pit. They sell you to the Ishmaelites. You're sent to Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife, you know, lies about you. You're thrown in prison. Then the cupbearer forgets about you for two more years and all these things. And it set into motion a string of events that made his life absolutely miserable. It began a journey for Joseph that caused so much pain and confusion, but, but also so much joy, so so much joy and, and some miraculous things happening in his life. I mean, think about Joseph's life, where he's standing right, where he's standing right in this place, where Joseph's sitting back and looking at what God has done and the joys that he had been through, the ups and downs, but the joys as well. And also the miracles. You cannot look at the story of Joseph and not say this is miraculous. The hand of God constantly working in his life. So now it's time for a a new chapter in our series. How big is your God? How big is your God? This series, honestly, is, is about individual, individual journeys as well as a corporate journey. The corporate journey of all of us together. All of us at Grace Chapel walking through this together. But it's really about individual journeys as well. Your individual journey. And what God can do in your life. I ask you throughout this series to stop, to take a, to stop and reflect to think about where you are right now in your spiritual journey, where you are right now in your spiritual life. What are the things that are holding you back? What are some issues that you need to deal with so you can become the person that God created you to be? Where are you now? And then where would you where would you like to be? So my question this morning for you is, do you have those? Do you have that goal or those goals? Have you thought about that? I want to take one goal because we're now we're, we're in, next week. We're moving. OK, bondage through there. Now they're moving out and they're going to the promised land. We're on that journey for another, what, six weeks or so. I want to make this series a little longer. I'm going to go to the end of the year in this series. And one of the reasons why is because I really want you to pick a goal or I want you to pick a few goals in your life. Where are you right now? Some of you are not living the way you should live in your spiritual life. You're, you've, you've kind of, you've drifted, you've fallen, you've backslidden, whatever word you want to use. You're not, you're, you are, you would call yourself a Christian, but you're not being a follower of Jesus right now. So the question is, what is it that's causing that in your life? Address it, deal with that, and go from where you are right now to where God wants you to be. You need to think all of those things through. See, we all need to set some goals and as we as we walk through this journey of Israel from bondage into to the promised land, we need to we need to allow God to continue to transform us. So as we as we watch Israel go from bondage to the promised land, we need to be asking God, God, what can I learn through this journey about myself? How can you help me overcome the things that are holding me back? I've picked one for myself. I'm not going to tell you what it is right now. But I pick one for myself. There's one thing that I just bugs me, internally bugs me. So I said, okay, Lord, we're going to work on this. I've been working on it for years. But you know what? We're going to work. Well, we're going to kind of up the ante a little bit and work even harder. And I started going online and looking up different verses. And I started looking up different sermons. I started looking up different Bible studies. Anything I could find around this particular topic. 
I think about it. I pray about it all the time. And so as I'm going through this journey with you, I'm picking some goal for my life that God would help me to go from this point to this point. So that I can be closer to him, I can have a more intimate relationship with him. And I don't want you to leave here today or I don't want you to go through this next week and show up next week without that thought. What is my goal? What are my goals? What does God want me to overcome? Okay, so back to Joseph. His brothers have put him through so much pain, so much pain. But through his tears, this is what he says to his brothers. And I want you to, I mean, for all of us, this is what we need to strive to become. Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Joseph is a beautiful example of Jesus Christ. And this is what he says in Genesis 50, 19 through 21 to his brothers. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. There was no desire for revenge in his voice, in his attitude, in his thoughts. There was no hatred or animosity. Instead, Joseph showed them kindness and he showed them mercy And he showed them compassion. We're all going through. We're we're going to go through each one of us. If if, if you say this is what man, I need to work on this. This happened to me when I was younger or this happened to me during a time, you know, in my life that was I was struggling and it created these these tendencies and these habits in my life. And if you're going to say and I'm going to overcome them. I'm making my goal to help to to, to walk the next six weeks to really do some damage and then the rest of my life to overcome this. If that's your goal, then you're going to face some challenges. Every single one of us is going to face some challenges along our journey. The question is, as you go through this journey and people are involved in your life, how do you continue to cultivate to cultivate a heart of love, a heart of mercy, a heart of grace? As you go through this journey, how do you cultivate that along the way? Because somehow Joseph was able to cultivate, okay, and and continue to live out this this passionate heart, this heart of grace, this heart of mercy. How do we keep how do we keep the attitude of forgiveness and compassion when we are receiving the opposite from those we're interacting with? We're receiving the the opposite emotion, if you will. We're expressing God is calling us to express compassion. God is calling us to to become the person he's created us to be. We're going to we're going to be on this journey. We're going to have so many roadblocks thrown in our way. And what happens is the reason we sometimes can't accomplish what God wants us to accomplish is because we get angry and we get frustrated and we fall back into a rut. So the question is, while we're on this journey, how do we keep our hearts about us, if you will? When those around us, okay, have a different attitude, a different emotion, a different action toward us. Because that's what God expects us to do. As difficult as it sounds, as difficult as it is, that's what God expects us to do. And the answer to that question is found in Joseph's theology. He didn't have the word of God like we do, but he had a theology. Joseph knew that what his brothers did was evil. 
But he also know the evil that was he also knew the evil that was done to him, though they meant it for evil. God used it for his good. God used it for Joseph's good. He understood that God was in control and he trusted God. So he had a strong biblical foundation, if you will, without even having the word of God to, to, to stand on because God spoke to his heart through the spirit. And through his experiences, Joseph knew he began to, to know and trust God even more. And in trusting God, he, he, he was able to, to, to build the foundation on which he could stand. It was his understanding of God's sovereign purpose that produced the purity of his heart. Let me say that again. It was his understanding of God's sovereign purpose that produced the purity of his heart. You say, how could he act this way? He didn't even have the, to go through and, and have the example, if you will, of Christ that we have to say, you know, we are to be followers of Christ. We are conformed to the image of Christ. How could he how could he behave this way when all that stuff went on in his life? Where 98 percent of the people on the planet would think of nothing but hatred and revenge. It was it was because. He understood God's sovereign purpose. And, and, and when he understood that, that produced in his life a pure heart. How big, honestly, let's think about this. How big is our God? Say that to yourself. How big is my God? How big is your God? Unless we see the journey that we're on, unless all of us, unless I see, unless you see the journey that we're on, as a part of God's purpose and plan, a specific part of God's purpose and plan, we will miss out on the profound truth that God can use our joys and our sorrows for his glory and for our good. We need to it, this is this story where I'm talking, I'm using this story, but I'm really talking to all of us. They're all gone. They're dead. They're with the Lord. We're here. So we're looking at their story. And if we don't see what Joseph saw, we're not going to be able to accomplish what God has to us has for us to accomplish. We need to see our journey as a part of God's purpose and a part of God's plan. We need to see our sorrows and our joys. In a way that that says, yeah, God, you can use, of course you can use my joys, but also do we believe that God can use the pain and the struggles that we face in our lives for his glory and for our good? If we understand that clear theology, we will go through life and we will accomplish all that God has for us to accomplish. Joseph might as well say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, because that's exactly who he was like. He tried to be godly. See, God had a plan for the world. But in order for God to fulfill his plan for the world, he had to have a plan for Israel. In order for God to fulfill his plan for Israel, he had to have a plan for Joseph. Because Joseph ends up saving the nation of Israel. There has to be a nation of Israel because that is where the Messiah comes from. Jesus Christ comes from the nation of Israel. And because Jesus Christ came from the nation of Israel, our lives, your life right now in 2016 in this place is transformed, is changed. Because of Jesus Christ, your life is changed. God is the grand weaver. 
God is the grand weaver. He, we, we see this. I mean, we, we've seen this for the last three weeks. The foreshadowing. As, you're, as I'm going through this, many of you are saying, yeah, man, this, this sounds a lot like the story of, of Jesus. Because it's a foreshadowing. God is the grand weaver. He accomplishes. Joseph said it. You, you did this to cause me harm. God then used it for good. God's plan was not thwarted by Joseph's brothers. And at the same time, simultaneously, he's giving us a foreshadowing of the story of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Absolutely amazing. Joseph was dearly loved by his father. Joseph was a shepherd tending his father's sheep. I mean, just think about some of these things. Joseph was despised by his brothers, stripped of his clothes and sold for 20 pieces of silver. Joseph was taken off to be tempted. Say, what was that? Remember Potiphar's wife. Joseph was taken and he was tempted. He was falsely accused. He was in bondage. And he was condemned with criminals. In that prison. I mean, think about all the different after after Joseph had suffered. He was then exalted to a high place. Joseph was 30 years old when he started his public service. He was 30, it says, when he stood before Pharaoh and started his public service. He wept for his brothers. He forgave them for the sins they committed against him. And then, ultimately, he saved them from certain death. Physical death. I mean, you go through this. What men did to try to harm him, God used for his good. You can say every one of those things about Jesus. Every one of those things. It's, this is miraculous. It, it gives you goosebumps. It's incredible. You, people say, well, why, how do you know the Bible's real? How do you know the Bible's true? How do you know the Bible's authentic? Because I read things like this, and you can go even deeper. You can go even deeper than I just went. There, there are so many references from the from the, the foreshadowing of Joseph's story to the story of Jesus Christ. So so now we move again to a new phase a new phase of our series. OK, I want you to bow your heads with me. I want but I want you to keep your thought, keep your thoughts. OK, keep your thoughts on me in my words. We go to a new phase in this journey from bondage to the promised land. Now, it wasn't easy for them. All right. It wasn't easy for them to do what they to accomplish what they accomplished. It wasn't easy. And we'll find that over the next six weeks. You're going to see how difficult it really was, how much faith they really had to have. But this morning, you have to have faith as well that God can do it in your life. It wasn't easy for them and it won't be easy for us. But here's my question once again. Have you decided what spiritual goals you have for your life? Have you decided that you need to decide? Have you decided what habit, what habits need to be broken? Have you decided what fears in your life need to be overcome? You will not move forward because of fear in your life. And in God's strength, with God's help, you're going to have to overcome those fears. So the question is, are you willing? Am I willing? Are we willing to rise up to rise up? Are we willing to trust him like Joseph trusted him 
throughout his life. He trusted him. Are we willing to trust him with our whole life? This this Christian walk that you're on is not it's not a it's not a little bit of this and a little bit of that is a whole life commitment. And this morning, some of you need to make that commitment. This morning needs to be a new time in your life. You're 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 driving a stake in the ground. You're saying this is where I am now, but this is where I need to be. I don't care what my friends think. I don't care how much I've fallen short in the past. God can forgive us for that. But we need to make a decision night right now to rise up and be the people that God has created us to be. And we need to decide it, my friends, because there's another twist of fate coming. Here comes Moses. Here comes Moses to lead them. We have Christ to lead us. And we can do greater things. Because we have Christ leading us. Father, give us the strength to rise up. Give us the strength to give our whole lives to you. Enough of playing a game. Enough of a mediocre Christian life. We need to grab hold of your will for our lives. Your purpose for our lives. And we need to live for you. And today is the day. Today is the day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.